Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Thank you for um, for celebration. Um, this year has been a tough year, and, and we'll take every celebration, every joyful occasion that we can get. Uh, and so thank you. And so we pray a blessing on Tiana as she uh, enters this new phase of, of young adulthood. Uh, may your grace, your strength, and, uh, and your courage be on her. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart is acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this remarkable statement to this group of people that he's preaching to. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And what he tells them is... He says, listen, folks, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes in order for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this would have caught everyone up just a bit off guard because, as we've been saying, scribes and Pharisees dedicated their lives to following the law, following the rules, and that's how they kind of judged or measured their righteousness. If they could follow more rules than the other guy, then they were more righteous than the other guy. And that's, that's what they, they, they really, um, they, they counted on this, this form of exterior righteousness. And so Jesus makes this statement. People get a little freaked out. But he's going to tell them, this is, this is what righteousness looks like. This is what righteousness beyond scribes and Pharisees looks like. And he gives six different examples of how we can be living into who we already are because of Christ. How we can be living into who we already are because we have the indwelling of the Spirit, the very Spirit of God. Uh, and... And this kingdom righteousness with Christ is very much attainable. This morning we're going to look at the fifth example of of kingdom righteousness. And this one, uh, it's pretty straightforward. There's no uh, real in-depth theological constructs that that I can come up with. Jesus is going to be talking about how we, as kingdom people, if you follow Jesus, if he is both your Lord and Savior, you are a kingdom person. And he's going to to explain to us how we kingdom people, how we should at least deal with insults, personal insults that, that come our way. And I believe that this is critical in our, in our day and age. Because there seems to be a lot of insults flying around if, if, you, uh, if you leave your home for a matter of a minute. Um, it, it seems that people walk around today in this perpetual state of being offended. Um, human nature, have, we have this capacity for anger. And it seems today everybody, well, 
everybody. That's, that's not everybody. There is a bunch of people today that walk around offended and angry because of some personal insult that had come their way or what they perceived to be a personal insult. And Jesus is going to tell the church, kingdom people, how we're to react to that insult. And so we're just going to read the entire text, and then we'll go back and we'll kind of unpack it as we go. These are the words of Jesus. As you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Pretty straightforward stuff right there. Jesus, as he, was, as he continues to go through these examples, he goes back to the law. The law which he did not come to get rid of, but the law that he came to fulfill with his presence. And he goes back to the old eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We find that in the book of Exodus. We'll find that in Leviticus. We find that in Deuteronomy. It's a pretty popular um, law. But it represents one of probably the oldest laws of human nature, and that's the law of retaliation. I'm going to see if I can pronounce this. Um, in the uh, Latin, it's lex talianos. Use that in a sentence four times today, and you too will get a lollipop later. And it's um, and, and sometimes we look at this as kind of a barbaric way of living life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You want to poke my out? I'm going to poke your eye out. You're going to knock my tooth out. One of yours is coming out. But it's actually a way of keeping humanity in check. It's actually a grace that God has given to humanity. Now, understand way back in the old ancient days, um, there were these things called blood feuds. And this would be family against family, tribe against tribe, individual against individual. Um, but it was, it was this um, angst and violence taking place between smaller communities. And so this, the, the way that uh, it was presented was, listen, if you trespass on my property, I'm going to beat you. But then the family of the trespassers see that I gave a beating to one of their family. And so now they're going to come and they're going to beat up a bunch of us. But now we're going to retaliate. Since a bunch of us got beaten up, we're sending folks over there and we're going to kill some people. We're going to kill three people. And then they're going to retaliate because three of them die. We need to at least double that amount and add one. So we're going to kill seven. And so this this violence just kind of continually builds and builds and builds. Eye for an eye eliminates that. Eye for an eye is a grace. It's part of all our, well, it's part of justice systems that are really looking to, to kind of deal out justice. Um, in the Old Testament, judges, uh, there were courts, and the people would come, and they would, uh, they would, tell what had happened to them and the judge would take into consideration all of the uh all of the, the the stuff going on and then they would give a restitution based upon the circumstances and so your 
right in Israel under the law said that if somebody pokes your eye out, at best, the most you can do is poke their eye out. If somebody knocks your tooth out, you get a tooth knocked out. This principle brought a equity to human relationships. It tampered down our, um, our ability to become offended, angry, and violent. Oh, somebody's sad. Now, Jesus is going to take eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and he's going to raise the bar. And he's going to raise the bar way up. He says, listen, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you, do not even resist an evil person. Now, this is not about a, a, uh, a spirit or a, a philosophy of pacifist, pacifist, pacif- pacif- what's the word? Pacificate. Wow, that's even a bigger word than I was going for. I was calling pass. Pacifism. Pacifism. Woo! Pacifism. Um, Pacifism could be settled through other verses in the scripture, but this is not what Jesus is getting at. Um, He is going to share four simple sentences of what it looks like not to uh, resist an an, an evil person. That we as kingdom people uh, could live separately from the way the world acts. And he's going to present to us some principles. And the first one is, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He's not talking about a physical... Uh, he's, he's not talking about somebody just coming up and, and uh, doing violence to you. Like, you know, you get shot for being in the wrong place or something like that. Um, what Jesus is getting at, uh, and, and he speaks specifically here... If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, and he's describing a backhanded slap. So you are slapping someone with your backhand in the right cheek. And this was not necessarily just an act of violence, but this was one of the worst insults that you can give to someone. This was removing them from humanity. This was about contempt. This is about condemnation. You are actually telling this person by backhanding them that they are nothing. They mean nothing to you. I was contemplating how people react today with catching the backhand. Now, personally, as a pastor, I would like to think that I would look at them with love and compassion And turn to them my other cheek. But I know me. And I would probably haul off and crack them. That's just me. I hope not. But think about being backhanded as an insult. Not even to hurt you, but just as this insult in society. You have been brought down to a a nothing. Now, in rabbinic law, the person that was insulted or slapped, uh, could seek legal restitution. They can sue the person for the insult. If it wasn't eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. If the insult was more than you insulted that person. You can sue. And what Jesus is saying, no, no, don't. 
Don't sue. Don't bring them to court. In fact, you should give them the other cheek to slap. Jesus is telling us we don't get to exact our pound of flesh. We don't get to have revenge. In fact, we can't, we're not even to pursue that, that attitude that we are to swallow our pride. We, we, we give up our rights to be treated fairly. We set our pettiness for fairness aside. We don't return sin for sin. And we turn the other cheek. And there's a reason for that. That we in some way and somehow that we're going to make the well-being of the other person our focus in response to their offense to us. And our actions are to, um, to point people at Jesus. That the way we respond to being insulted, an ultimate insult, would be that we care enough about the person who has insulted us that we would... our um, our actions would point them back to Jesus. Insult would then be met with love. Verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Jesus is addressing getting ripped off. Taken to the cleaners. Back in the day of Christ, you can actually sue somebody literally for their shirt. You can take the shirt off their back in a lawsuit. The cloak or the coat, that was a different story. It was, the, the coat was uh, an indispensable garment that if you lived in Palestine, you needed to have one of these. It was so important in the daily life of the people that if, if you lost your shirt in a lawsuit, and somehow you lost your coat in that same lawsuit, the person who won would have to bring that coat back to you each and every night so you can sleep in it. Then in the morning you would wake up and then you would have to give it back to that person. What Jesus is saying, if they get your shirt, just give them your cloak. If you've been sued for everything you own, including your shirts, even though it's illegal for them to take it, give them more. Again, this action is to point people to Christ. This, this is about pointing people um, to a, a Christ who calls us to be humble and put others' well-being well before our own. Now, many scholars would say that these four sentences have to do with more of being uh, attacked for your faith this is how a Jesus follower is to respond when someone is, is uh, coming at them because they, they follow Christ. But it really comes down to a lawsuit without merit. And in that lawsuit without merit, that whatever you're being sued over, that you would give them more. There's a principle that we have to grab a hold of as kingdom people that we would care about our adversaries, that we would care about the people who are looking to hurt us, that we would care about the people who are attacking us and coming at us, and we would look at them with, with that compassion, and we would, um, we would look at them and love them, that we would treat them better than we are being treated ourselves. This is who 
kingdom people are. This is how kingdom people live. Our desire should be pointing people to Christ no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Now, is Jesus telling us that every time we get sued, which sounds like a weird thing, but when we get sued, that we should just give them more than, than what they're asking for? Like, hey, I'm su- you're suing me for 10 grand. Let me throw in an extra 5K for your trouble. I don't think that's what is, is the point here. Um, it doesn't sound realistic to me. But what Christ is getting at, what he always gets at, what he drills down into goes beyond our actions and gets to the heart of our matter. It gets to the heart. How do we see people? How do we view people? How do we, you know, on the inside where nobody can see, how are we looking at that person who doesn't like us? It's coming at us. Do we, do we meet anger with anger, sin for sin, or do we meet anger with love? Do we meet sin with goodness. Jesus wants us to treat others better than they are treating us. So the next topic Jesus is going to nail down is this idea of being forced to do something. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. It was Roman law. That if a Roman official or a soldier asks anyone to carry something, to, to, whether it be a bag, whether it be their sword and shield, whether it be food, whatever it was, if you were asked by a Roman official or a soldier to carry something, it was by law you had to carry that for that official or soldier for one mile. That was the law. And if that person forced you to go over that mile, it was against the law. You did not have to. It didn't matter what you were doing. It didn't matter where you were going. If that official or soldier said, carry this, you were legally required to carry it for one mile. We see this in the story of Simon the Cyrene. When the the, uh, soldiers told him, carry the cross for Jesus. Same principle. He had no choice by law to carry that cross. There are two different ways to approach any task that's asked of us. You can get all grumpy and mad. You can have that look on your face like you you constantly smell poop. And go off and storm off and do it. I remember once as a kid, my dad wanted me to go rake the backyard. Didn't want to rake the backyard. I had a younger brother for that. I had things to do. (laughs) And so the the tools were out there and I was back there and I was raking and and I would come in and complain. I don't want to rake on it. Finally, my father kind of just laid into me a little bit and I marched out there stomping my feet and I stepped on the rake that I left laying down. It was a metal rake. And that sucker came up and hit me square in the head. Boing! And my father looked at me and said, maybe you should change your attitude next time. Never forget it. Well, I think I did because I was in the hospital. But uh, anyway. Um, and so we can, when we're, when we're asked to do something, forced to do something, we can go out there and be all grumpy and miserable, do it. Or we can go out with, uh, an attitude or go with an attitude of, of happiness or, or joy or um, optimism. We're just going to do this and, and get it done and, and get it over with. This is what Jesus 
is getting at. And you might say, well, well, why? Why should we be happy doing something that we might not want to do? Because we always want to point people to Christ. Your attitude, the way your attitude is in life, makes a big difference as a Christian. If you, if you, hold, that, um, if you hold that sign, if, if people know you're a Christian, they look at your attitude, they watch your attitude, they hear the tone of your words, and they, they, they pay attention. And so what we say, how we go about just everyday life can either turn people away from Christ or turn people towards Christ. And so when we're asked to do something, we just don't want to do what is our attitude. You ever, I, I remember when I had a, worked in, a, in, in an office building um, and people would be asked by their boss, you know, do this, do this. And they would just, some people would just be miserable. You just want to say like, shut up. Like, just, you're, you're being paid. You're not doing it for free. What's your attitude? We need to check our attitude. Jesus raising the bar. He said, listen, somebody asks you to do something, you don't want to do it, shut up and do it. And be happy. Because by doing so, you just may point them to me. Last but not least, give to those who ask you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I wrestle with this one a little bit. Is Jesus telling us that we need to give every time somebody has their hand out for something? I would say no, because remember, he is talking about evil people. He's talking about people who are coming at you in a way that wants to insult you, that wants to do harm to your, uh, your character, or do harm to you physically. This is about someone trying to take advantage of you through the act of borrowing from you. This is the way Luke would uh, record Jesus' words in his gospel, chapter 6. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. So this comes to the place of somebody asking something of you that you may really not be very fond of. That maybe they've borrowed something in the past and they haven't returned it. You just don't get along and they, they've, they've asked something of you. But somehow you're still in relationship with this person. And Jesus says if they come to you and they ask you, Give it to them and expect not to get it back. Again, I said these are, these are just kind of straightforward principles, but they are principles. These aren't uh, mechanical sets of rules that we need to follow. He's giving us principles for meeting the personal wrongs and attacks that will come in our life that we are to shine light into the darkness by the way we treat people when we are offended, when we are insulted, when somebody's coming after us and taking advantage of us. What is our response? Do we love them and then uh, respond in a way that is loving? Or is it that we kind of hunch back, keep tight what is ours, and look them in the eye and say no? 
Jesus is telling us we don't live to get even anymore. We don't live to put ourselves first. Paul kind of would say it this way. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul considers everything that he has anyway garbage because he has Christ. He's letting go of his stuff, which I believe also has to do with his own arrogance, pridefulness, sense of fairness. He says, all that stuff is is garbage because I have Christ. And so as we mature in these principles, our need to be treated fairly becomes less and less as we know Christ more and more. We put up with the sins and the the shortcomings of others. First, because we know that we have sin in our life and shortcomings. And second, because we want to point them to Jesus. So we put up with their sin, with their attack, with their um, shortcomings. So that we can say, there's Christ. Why have I not responded the way you thought I should respond? There's Christ. Why have I not responded the way a tit for tat? It's because I love you. When's the last time you told somebody that has insulted you, hurt you, that you love them besides your husband or wife? And even when insulted or hurt over and over again, we would respond in the same way. That we would love them into the kingdom. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth isn't the way a kingdom believer lives. But in our heart, we would love those who come after us, our enemies. That we would do good to those who persecute us. Now, what is being taught here, as simple as it may be, uh, this 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 is us not becoming something that we are not. This is about us becoming who we already are in Christ. This is us living into the anointing. This is us living into our calling. This is us living into sons and daughters of the kingdom. This is possible this mentality this philosophy this heart posture is possible but only with christ and not without him because it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense to to answer evil with good it doesn't make sense to bless someone who has insulted you and yet this is what christ is asking of us he's saying this is who you already are you are humility you are um You are compassion. You are grace. Live into those things because I am with you and the Spirit of God is in you. We have been... uh, We have been given this. And Jesus is calling us now to live into this. He's raised the bar. 
And that bar is, is attainable with Christ. Lord, I pray that we can be, uh, continue to be kingdom people. That these principles that we talk about, that we would embrace the simplicity and uh, and not forget how important for this world to see Jesus in each and every one of us. That we would no longer be offended that sticks and stones may break our bones, but names, they're not going to hurt us. We consider all that loss for the sake of Christ. Thank you for this strength. Thank you when the world thinks we're weak, in you we are strong. And again, empower us to live in these kingdom principles. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Pets. Love you guys. We'll see you next.